Some of us were raised to believe that talk about money, politics, and religion had no place in polite conversation. So that means we're definitely diving into a discussion about money, pricing specifically. I'm ready for it. Let's sharpen our pencils and talk about how we derive pricing and how to communicate it. The Speakeasy Podcast, real talk about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity and business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. Let's talk about this beverage. It is called the Smoky Nail. It's uh, smokier than a usual rusty nail, which is where the name comes from. Kind of makes me want to sit by a campfire, which I've been doing for the last several days. Oh. I, don't, I no longer smell like a campfire, though. That's good. That's okay. We've got the smell with the drink. That's right. So that's good. You, we would never know if you were unshowered at this point. Perfect. <laughs> it's a scotch whiskey, which is rich and really peaty. We like it. You can sort of taste the, a little bit of a chili bite in it, so you have to check it out. But there's a little sweet aftertaste, which is really, really great. So um, other, than, other than this single malt uh, scotch, there's drambouille in it, right? And a twist of lemon. Yeah, a beautiful twist of lemon. you got to check it out. So good. You know what else you have to check out is this taboo subject of pricing and money. I think it's just funny that it's, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I grew up in a house where you weren't allowed to talk about money, politics, or religion. And if I asked my parents, just out of sheer curiosity, not even nosiness, it was like, it's none of your business. And it's like, how am I going to figure this out? Like, how do you how do you figure out what a lot of money is or what, you know, like, how yeah. do you figure it out if you can't talk about it? So I always found that very entertaining. So I've, I've really derived a lot of my own notions <laughs> just on my own because weren't allowed to talk about it at home. Nope, you weren't allowed to talk about it at home, and we had none, so we never talked about it. You know, it's a, a topic to avoid when you when you don't have money piled in the corners as well. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's just a lot that goes into people's assumptions about money. And for us, pricing specifically, it's not like competitors go around saying, how much do you charge for this? How much do you charge for that? And in fact, there might be laws against that kind of thing. I'm not so sure. Well, and I think, too, since there, since it feels a bit taboo, or at least if that's where we've come from, then it makes it even more uncomfortable to say, hey, can we, you know, look at each other's notes and talk about, how, you know, what is fair? You know, what what do you... How do you figure out your pricing? And it's be, it goes far beyond the basics of just looking at your budget and looking at your overhead. But it's like, how do you figure out even what's fair, especially those entrepreneurs who, you know, they start out and they may not even take a salary for themselves sure. right at the beginning. And so then when you do start taking a salary, there's this emotional feeling of, is it, is it enough? When is it enough? When is, is it, it too much? Is, is it too much? Yeah. You know, and, those types of things. And when it comes to pricing, I had a lot of years of feeling, not guilt necessarily, but sort of skepticism that someone's actually going to pay me for this. Mm-hmm. And and asking to be paid what I was worth was sort of a hurdle for me for a while. And anyway, if if we can have this conversation and sort of lay out, this is how pricing looks and this is what you think about. And if that helps some other entrepreneur figure it out when we couldn't, that would be cool. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive in. Let's do it. <laughs> how do you, so I think there's two sides to the pricing conversation, probably more than we, than I've even thought of. But I think there's this, how do you derive your price? But then also how do you either communicate it, um, you know, communicate it to your prospects or sure. to your clients? So tell me um, a little bit about how you've navigated deriving pricing for yourself. Sure. And we, you know, we are a service-based organization, so we have what's called a blended rate. We charge an hourly rate, and we know about how many hours it takes us to 
do a project, and that's that's a baseline. And th- that could be the end of it, but it's not, and it never should be, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And so we've more and more gotten to the point of understanding not only how many hours it takes us to do something, how much of our expertise we're bringing to something, how complicated the project is for a client, how much impact it will have on the client, mm-hmm. um, what the overall value of the project is. So our pricing model is a combination of all of those things, which sounds vague and difficult. How about you guys? You know, it's it's similar. Our industry doesn't use blended pricing quite as often as marketing and PR, but we do because per, the costs associated with production are very different than post-production. Right. But, um, you know, in post-production, it, it it's priced very similarly to you. You know, there's we know about how long it takes to execute certain kinds of efforts, especially based on our expertise and the repeatability of you know, how long it takes to get something that's a deliverable that looks like X. But to then backing that out, if it's something that also requires production, we just kind of know in general what a day rate looks like, plus some bells and whistles that are likely to be required based on the project spec. So there's a little bit of that. Um, And of course, you have to, just like you, take into consideration costs associated, costs to you that are associated with the project. So whether that's fees associated with printing or whether for me it's hiring in outside talent or outside crew and and, and things like that. So um, it's not quite a blended rate. It's a little bit more, it actually gets pretty specific pretty early in the project. But I I think there's a, a lot of similarities for sure. For sure. And, you know, we just had a, we just had a shoot in which our models stopped and thanked us for being so thorough and making their lives so easy. You know, when, when I had a model come by and say, thank you for thinking of all the small details that made this easy on us. And I thought, oh, that feels nice, you know. So mm-hmm. pricing, that leads to all of the contingencies and all of the planning and all of the extra little bells and whistles, the subtle things that you might not see that affect a price. And I think particularly when you are young as or your first time doing this, it's so easy to leave a lot of that little stuff out. Well, I think, too... Sometimes that speaks to your expertise in knowing what's good talent and what's not good talent. So you have to also use your expertise to know who to align yourself with. Uh, You kind of almost have to have a good sniffer when it comes to whether somebody's going to pull through on your behalf or not, right? And so um, that's costly. That costs you and your client money when you align yourself with someone who doesn't have your back. Right. So whether that's talent or another service provider, um, I think it's expensive to not think through those contingencies. So the moral of the story, really, for both video production and any sort of marketing, is there's it, it's like an iceberg. What you see it is only a fraction of what actually happens in order to get a project completed. And so I think for a lot of our clients, the pricing can look scary sometimes. And that's because they don't understand all of those undercover things and the ramifications therein until they look at the estimate and understand, oh, I see what we have to do here. And so we often run across, I think both in your industry and ours, price disparities between providers, right? Mm -hmm. I've been asked to defend um, certain categories of pricing compared to my competitors. And I'll use writing as an example. And it's, it's because I've been writing for so long and I know exactly... I know exactly the format of, just like people understand the format of how a press release should be written, I understand the format of how a story should be told. And so my price may on paper look higher per hourly rate, 
uh, to write something, but I also write really fast and I get to the heart of things really quickly because I ask the right questions. And so it may be that the hourly rate looks very different, but I get to the solution much faster than maybe somebody who is less seasoned. That's true. And so what that points to to me is that if a client is comparing hourly rates, that's a really false comparison. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I, I don't tend to put hourly rates in my proposals, but there are certain people who require it. And so I really try to focus very hard on price for deliverable as opposed to price per task. Sure. Um, and then that leads us to, you know, a conversation about value. Right. Right. So I think that it's really important for us to, you know, get the maximum return for the value that we offer. We have almost entirely given up price per task because... W- I did. I, I went through a long time of feeling like the client was then going down the grocery list and calling into question all of these small bits or wanting to pick and choose. Well, can we not do this piece of the process? Yeah. You have to do the whole process. Yeah. And so I found when we were trying to call out rates for hourly tasks, it was really ineffective. And I didn't want to have to defend all those tasks and what their hours cost. It's just know that we're going to get you a good product and here's the end number. Yeah, I think I think my industry hasn't caught up with that notion yet just because so much of the traditional service offering, I'm thinking especially in production, people are very used to saying, send me your price list. I want to see what's on your truck. And here's the list of every little clamp and fixture and piece. Really? Yeah, it's 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 a little bit easier for us given that we work with long-term clients. Um, and we have those trusted relationships. But when we have people who are asking for a rate sheet, I know that they're old school uh, or just haven't broken out of that mold yet. Um, So that just requires a little bit of extra education. Because then, so so before we get dive too deep into value, you know, you have to also, from a business standpoint, not a project standpoint, you have to really understand your nuances between markup and margin and, like, the difference between those things Mm -hmm. um, compared to your project costs and and your fixed costs, your okay. overhead. Well, Karen, let's let's school. What is markup and what is margin? So markup is anything that you need to charge above and beyond to make sure that you cover the cost of administering some outside costs. And margin is what you need to make on a project overall or what you look at above and beyond your bottom line. But those, so there are costs associated with your project and then there are the costs of doing business. So you're going to pay your rent and your electricity regardless of whether you do 10 projects this month or 30 projects this right. month. Right. Very good. Good job. Oh, thank you, Jen. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, a client who doesn't want you to have a good margin really makes me question whether they're a client that, want, that wants you to, to succeed, right? Yeah. Because you have to have a good margin in order to succeed. Yeah. And I, and I would even say I'm, I don't have a problem. You know, I'm, I'm very comfortable operating at a margin that um, is incredibly fair and kind of flat overall in terms of um, being balanced over the long term. I don't have to have giant margins. Um, I just want to make sure that I'm able to continuously evolve and grow and, you know, put money back into things like excellent equipment and education and, and great a great place to work for my team. That's pretty fair. That's pretty fair. Yeah. And then tell me about your numbers. Like, how do you figure? How do you figure all this out? You know, I you've got a special formula, don't you? Well, yes, I have lots of formulas, <laughs> uh, and I know you do too. Uh, I have, I have a formula that can really easily figure out project cost, 
it's a multiplier that then is easily repeatable so that if the client, if we start a conversation about Project X and they're like, yeah, but what if we make this decision? It's very easy for me to multiply to just say that this is probably the, the additional charge in any given situation. I also have formulas on the human resources side, but then I also have some um, P&L style formulas or just kind of I know my numbers enough to know that when my receivables are at X and my payables are at X, I'm always kind of floating at equilibrium. And, and when I get too high or too low, I can, if my receivables dip below something for too long, I know that I'm going to have a cash issue um, in 45 days. So I just play those numbers a little bit. It's almost like, um, it's almost like a bobber, <laughs> like a fishing bobber kind of floating in the water. And you know that they can go up and down a certain amount, um, but not sink. And then, um, and I know I just have some dashboards for long-term business. Dashboards are good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, in order to do, to do quality pricing, you have to understand your numbers and you have to, as a business owner, be able to understand what those balances look like and what 45 days out looks like and what today's numbers mean for six months from now or a year from now. Um, But when it comes to pricing your actual product, say a new client walks in the door, um, what, what is your first step? You know, I try really, really hard to ask a lot of questions up front. Um, I, I try hard not to get locked into money conversations right up front because I'm afraid that that then defines what's possible And so I work with um, ranges of costs to make sure that what we're talking about, we're at least in the same page or if we need to adjust up or down for their expectations until we then really start scoping out the work and what the deliverable is and like painting the picture of, of, not creatively painting the picture, but just defining what the deliverable Mm -hmm. is and the iterations of the deliverable. And then I'm able to then take that range and make it a little bit more narrow. And then once we're in a much more narrow, maybe five or $10,000 range, then we get to the point where we make an agreement on what the price is and we, and we sign a statement of work. In our world, what we tend to do is divide the project into, into smaller bits. The strategy and thinking and planning, we can give a number, but you don't know what execution is going to look like until you've done the planning and the strategy, right? Mm-hmm. So oftentimes with clients, we will work in an incremental way. Like, let's first talk about what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, um, how we're going to solve a problem, what our messaging would look like. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about what execution of that thing would cost sort of as a separate budget. Mm-hmm. And so we found that clients are, are more comfortable with that because you don't have to give them that execution number that is huge mm-hmm. to, accom- to, uh, to accommodate everything that could possibly be. Right. Which makes people fall over dead every time. A wise client then can appreciate the thinking and the methodology, which is so foundational to what to whatever execution they need. So so they know they need a website and they understand that some of these other things, they need branding and a website, but they know that some of these other things um, they may not be able to do now, but then they can do it in another quarter or right. so. But that it doesn't, it, it only builds the value of the thinking. It develops that value even more richly. Let's talk for a second, though, about the fact both of us have run across at Render and at Redhead the perception of being expensive. Yeah. So why are you so expensive if you've got such a, if you've got your pricing all figured out? <laughs> well, I think it's about value. I do. I I'll go back to the writing example. It uh, you know we're able to. It's not always that we come to solutions easily, 
but we have so much expertise and we really understand the niche markets that we operate inside of that we understand the types of deliverables and the types of storytelling that needs to happen inside of those different realms. And so we get to solutions really quickly. We're absolutely countonable. We never drop a ball. You know, we just, we're good partners with our clients. And I, and I think that there are so many people who do what we do at Render that aren't countonable, <laughs> that, uh, that do drop the ball, or who, who are so green that they just aren't seasoned enough to sit at, the, at a boardroom table and make a presentation. Or you'd be a little worried about how they might show up and pr- represent your organization on set. And so there's a whole level of professionalism that comes with um, having people from my team on another person's team, you know, really becoming integrated. And and that comes with experience. Yeah, it, and it really does. And it ought to be compensated because you, you really don't want your CEO um, to have a bad day because you brought in the wrong partner. Yeah. And I think I've said this to you before. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but I've seen you when you're on location and your your team is exceptionally thoughtful and quiet and they're stealth. They're in and out, and they they disrupt as little as possible, and they are as respectful as you could ever hope for, and it's it's the smoothest experience you could ever imagine, because videography is disrupting yeah. to an environment, right? That's, You're yeah. bringing in all these cameras and these lights and big stuff that's moving around and rearranging furniture and who knows what could happen. Mm-hmm. And then I've worked with younger groups who just come in like a circus filled with elephants and trumpets. It's crazy. The ability to understand how you're affecting someone's environment and behave in that way, it's it's very valuable to an organization. Do, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so Thank you. it's funny how sometimes paying for premium gets you premium it's not that hard it's it's not really that hard yeah and and those and those details don't come by accident just like the details that redhead delivers doesn't come by accident no they come after years of screwing it up and getting it better and refining and refining and refining (laughs) right yeah absolutely yeah it's funny though because i think a lot of pricing also for me has to do with client relationship yeah and if they trust you Mm -hmm. the prices are just better yeah, because I want to dig inside of what you mean by that, but I assume what you're saying is that a lack of trust, therefore, costs more. And it's not a punitive charge. No. It's just that if at every turn you have to defend your thinking, it just takes longer to do the project. And so for that reason, and then and then if they're questioning your thinking up front, they're certainly going to be um, extending the the process of review and revision. And um, their their mind changing or their second guessing also is a form of lack of trust. And we're not saying that everybody should just take what we give them. No, it should be collaborative. But but at every step of the way, when it just feels like um, they're not honoring that you are an expert in your field, then it just becomes really expensive to do that business. It does become expensive, and it's it's not yeah it's it's not. It's not like you put extra dollars at the on the invoice because they were a pain in the butt. Now I have had conversations with other people, and we've have, have talked about the PETA tax. Yeah, they're they're yes, yes. It's a thing we joke about. It's not really a thing we do, but um, what I mean really about client trust is once you get into a good relationship with a client and you have a nice working knowledge, 
there's a beautiful shorthand that happens. Yeah. And once you've been integrated and you understand their brand and they know that you understand their brand and they know where your strengths are and you know what they need, projects can become so incredibly efficient, right? Yeah. And that's where I, I always feel sad when I have clients who like to spread their work around. I'm not sad because I want all the work. I'm not sad because someone else isn't going to do good work. But that, that those startup conversations, if you're working with four vendors, you're having a startup conversation four time. times. Yeah. If you're working with one partner, they get some deep knowledge of you and you and project number six has such shorthand that you can be very, very efficient. And not only shorthand in the execution, because you already know what their aesthetic sensibilities are, not just about following brand, but really understanding how to enhance it. But then also just uh, from a project management standpoint, sure. you understand the needs of the person. You know, I know that that person would rather look at the script two times before we start recording because it has to go through that person. And then they're also they have to vet it with their boss or their committee or their board. Right. And so just understanding how to customize your management to their needs and expectations makes it go really fast, too. And then when you pay attention to those details, you are delivering such a specialty service for each and every client, but you can still go fast right? because you get it. And that, I think, goes back to, you know, we talked about somebody who's a little bit green. Um, I've seen I've seen companies, and when we were young, we did it ourselves, who this is my process and this is how I do it. Mm-hmm. And at Red Hat, and I think renders the same way, client, what kind of process do you need and how can I get things to you in your process? Yep. And so understanding that, number one, helps you manage it more efficiently, helps you support the client in their workflow and their timelines, mm-hmm. and makes it just a, a nicer process, you know? Yeah. And so I think you both get a more efficient product and a better working relationship. And so with a good client relationship and someone who trusts you, you can really just hit the ground running again and again and again. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about figuring out your pricing and knowing your numbers and things like that, but how do you then communicate those prices besides just your proposal? But like, how is it that you defend what your costs are without defending your costs? How do you make sure that the client has a lot of confidence in what you're then saying, this is our this is our agreement? Yeah. I think... We are pretty good at saying no if -hmm. a client wants something at a deep, deep discount or if they are skeptical about our proposal or whatever, we're okay saying no. I don't don't need your work. If you don't believe that I'm the right fit, probably you should go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I find more often we have to explain our process Mm -hmm. because of the types of clients we serve. Sometimes they might not have done a major website redevelopment before or a brand refresh before because those aren't things you do all the time. Right. And so we do a lot of walking through, this is how the process works. This is what you will see. This is what you should expect from us. And I feel like that's totally normal. Mm-hmm. So what I notice is when the questions people are asking are generally the questions of lack of knowledge about the project and how it works and what it takes. And once you do that walkthrough, people are often very clear. And we we also notice somebody might come and say, hey, I need a widget. Okay. And then we ask them a few questions and we're like, well, okay, you need the widget, but on top of the widget, you might need this channel or you might need this tool. And, and so we will give them, here's the price for your widget, or here's the price for all the things you need to make that widget successful. Oh, 
that sounds fantastic. Yes, I need that thing. Yeah. And so right off the bat, understanding just the process and how it should work, we often give them two prices, sort of the baseline model price and the more effective model. Which is really not always that far apart. No, not really. Because once you've done the thinking and built the widget, the other things are lovely wraparound hugs. Right. <laughs> that are really not that hard for your team to re recraft. Right. And on top of that, when you really think about production timelines on bigger projects, you're, you might be looking at two years budget. So you, you might look at something and go, oh, this fiscal year I'm going to put this part of my budget, and next fiscal year, fiscal year I will put that in my budget, and then the, ni- the price is not so bad. Right. You know. I tend to take, you know, you, you talked about the two different approaches. I tend to take the latter approach in that when they, when they go, oh, that number's big, can you sharpen your pencil? We get that a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and I try to talk them through what else they need. So it's not really about me sharpening my pencil, it's about them having a new th- relationship with the way they're thinking about how the tool can be useful. Right. That it, you're not just building something that will li- live on your homepage or that will, quote unquote, just go on social media. It's about all the other th- marketing tactics they're already doing and how does a couple more little, you know, an hour more of our effort, how we could deliver things in new ways that they could leverage and you know, on the channels that they're already using. And, and when they when their eyes open to that, they see that they're receiving a lot more value than what they originally thought. So you're taking your experience for how the tools can be used and sort of giving them that expert consultation mm-hmm. about how they can get more bang for their buck. So you might not have to sharpen your pencil and lose some bits that could really enhance the piece yeah. or give the client more wiggle room. And instead you're saying, well, let's look at the value of this thing we're giving you and how you can eke all of the value out of it over the course of many months or many types of media. Absolutely. Especially, you know, a lot of people struggle spending a, a certain percentage of their budget on um, on something that's kind of a, a single-use piece, like an event piece. And, and it's like, but your event piece is going to have a captive audience of X. And only the people who are going to be there are going to see this thing. How else can you kick this out and use it to capture this other audience? And this, you know, how can you repackage it and look at who you're talking to so that it has a much longer life? Um, so we do that a lot. And it's so it's not about sharpening the pencil. It's about being smarter about how you use the tools that you're already going to use, you know, that you're already going to ask for. Sure. Which is really a value conversation as well. A hundred percent. 100%, because I don't want anybody to put all their sweat and tears and marketing budget into something that's disposable. That's not good. No, it's not. It always makes me feel sad when people spend a lot of budget and then something sits on a shelf, or it's yeah. only used for a short amount of time, and the potential just sort of sits there with it. Yeah, but I, I'm also very careful that I don't offer anything that doesn't add value. Right. You know what I mean? Because then that's just um, lip service. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about value a lot. Let's get back to the pricing part. I don't feel like I gave you a very good answer about how we price things. I guess we're considered expensive in our market. That's the rumor I hear. But man, we're affordable com- compared to other markets. Absolutely. Holy Moses. Holy we're affor- Moses. We're affordable compared to other markets. Yes, because we compete against Detroit and Chicago all the time. And for what we deliver, we are, man, we're a steal. Yeah. The end. The end. Lansing has great prices for almost everything, folks. No, I'm 
just kidding. Um, no, but it, the, the nice old town prices. It it is nice to not be in one of the major markets because we don't have the infrastructure costs that somebody does have in a major market. Mm-hmm. You can still have great ideas. You can still have all the technical knowledge. You just don't have that massive underload of of cost, which is kind of nice. Yeah, absolutely. And in general, the way that trickles down with what we pay ourselves and our team members, we have a lower cost of living as well. And yeah. so it, it it's not expensive to live in Greater Lansing. No. Yay. Yay. Plug for our town. <laughs> and I guess my one final, final takeaway, and then we'll get back to our booze, is that... Um, Lansing is a really great creative town, and there's a lot of talent here. There sure is. I mean, we talk about our two businesses all the time, but I can name some competitors who really impress me and um, who I've admired for decades, and um, the same with some of Karen's competitors. And so you Mm -hmm. can get an exceptional value, which is kind of nice. It is nice. We have a great creative community, don't we? We sure do. My goodness, and we have great booze. Lucky us. <laughs> we do. This smoky nail has been really, really interesting. The combination between the single malt scotch and the drambuie with the fresh citrus has been kind of a delight to enjoy. Um, so check it out. The recipe's on our website. Uh, but you probably want to hear from some people, too. I want to hear about what other people think about pricing, whether they think that we're crazy. Yeah, if anybody else wants to enter that smoky back room with us and have a tough cocktail with a tough conversation about pricing, shoot us a note. Um, DM us on Instagram. We're there all the time. Or we, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter. And we'd just love to hear from you. What are we talking about next time, Jen? Oh, I'm excited about this one. We've talked on many occasions about managing our well-being. And next time we're tackling sleep or lack thereof. Yep. As a parent and entrepreneur, there are so many things that keep me up at night, both personal and professional. Oh, me too. Let's talk through some of those things next time and see if we can put some of the concerns to bed, literally. Join us.